Um, it's, it's exciting to be here. We have, unfortunately, we, we have only two speakers because our third speaker uh, is, is ill, Cindy, uh, and hasn't got a voice, and she's really not happy about that. Uh, I know, having worked with her at Lethbridge Family Services, that that doesn't fit for her at all, because she likes to talk and she's very passionate about this particular event. Can you please uh, take your cell phones out and turn them off if you haven't already done that? Uh, we uh, uh, will be having, as you know, uh, our, uh, uh, our talk for 25, 30 minutes, at which the two uh, men will share. And uh, then we'll have the, uh, you'll have your lunch, and it sounds like a nice lunch. And then we'll have uh, our question period, uh, and it will be done around 1.30. Uh, the, the talk and the Q&A will be recorded and will be available on the website. And uh, Shaw TV records as well, and he's there doing away. And, uh, and so pay, pay attention to that if you want to do, get involved with that and go online. Uh, so uh, we, I'll just give you a brief thing about our, our topic today. How can the trauma children experience in high-conflict divorce cases be minimized? And so interesting and concerning uh, topic. Uh, most of us know somebody that has been divorced or maybe it's affected us personally. So the two speakers, Rob Harvey and Harvey uh, Laboon, uh, and so if, apparently if you say Harvey, both of them will respond. Uh, <laughs> um, Anyway, they have both worked in this area. Uh, Rob Harvey has practiced law here in Lethbridge for 27 years, and so he's going to do a major piece of the t sharing because of his law experiences and so on. And, and he's worked in the area of family law litigation and family law dispute resolution with emphasis on property and financial disputes. Uh, Cindy, who isn't here, and is sorry about that, is a child therapist, and she and I worked at Lethbridge Family Services together, and she's a child specialist, and so she would have brought that perspective, but the two men are going to try to fill in a little bit of that. Our, our second speaker is Harvey Laboon, and he's a chartered professional accountant and chartered business evaluator for over 35 years. So they're coming with lots of experience and probably lots of stories, and they have a PowerPoint, so it will be a really uh, interesting uh, presentation. And there'll be lots. Make note of your questions because they'll take questions in your in the question period. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. So I will invite Rob and Harvey forward, and uh, they they will they will speak. Well, Rob's coming first. So, and I will give you I will give you a couple of minutes. Good, good, thank you. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to come here today. Is that better? Okay. Um, if I'm not speaking up, please let me know. I'll try to, to make myself intelligible, as intelligible as a lawyer can be. Um, uh, I've actually practiced for 32 years. I need to update my website uh, where Knut got that information, but it's, it's been a while, and in those 32 years, uh, I pretty much have done divorce work throughout that period. Um, I'm also, I guess, what you might call a survivor of a divorce. I was divorced in 1993. I had two kids with my former spouse. 
So I also carry that perspective that uh, is a large part of my practice because I try to empathize and understand where my clients are at from the perspective of, of where they're at, not simply from a legal perspective. So what I want to talk to you today about um, is a way that we can uh, help people get divorced without perhaps uh, a lot of the damage that gets left behind in uh, the traditional divorce battles that maybe a lot of you have, have seen in your own families or with your friends. Um, so we're going to concentrate on a thing called collaborative divorce, and that'll kind of lead me to a discussion of the good and bad of the kind of work that I do. Um, collaborative divorce is also known as collaborative law and collaborative process. And it's basically a, a different way to help people get from A to B. Um, so um, to begin with, the, the basic issues that we deal with when people are in, in a family breakdown, while they're all different and unique, they carry similar issues that we need to address. And those issues relate to the people actually getting divorced so they can move forward perhaps into new relationships. It deals with parenting, how people are going to organize the way that they take care of their children, both in terms of the time the children spend with each of them and also in terms of the kind of decisions that get made. Dealing with child and spousal support, we need to allocate the resources of the family in a way that is fair for all concerned. And then finally, we need to generally work out how do we divide the things that have been accumulated in that relationship. Um, and so those are the things we deal with. The question, though, is how do we do that? And this is what leads us to collaborative work. Um, and so I'm going to talk about a little bit is what the traditional model is that maybe most of you are already familiar with. And then I'm going to talk about collaborative divorce, which is slightly different, and I think in some very positive ways for some very important reasons. I'll touch on. So let's talk about traditional divorce, something that maybe most of you have had some familiarity with. Maybe you've seen it on television. If you're as old as I am, you've seen LA Law back in the day and, and other uh, television programs where they have a litigation orientation, which is based on what we call an adversarial system of justice. And the adversarial system of justice, at its simplest, is premised on the idea that if you have two people with two lawyers, and the lawyers take those people into a courtroom, and they beat the crap out of the other person, and you have a neutral judge watching all this, that neutral judge at some point will discern truth and, and fairness at the end of the day when he makes or she makes a decision. Uh, some interesting aspects of that, obviously based on what I've just told you, it's not a very cordial event. And I've explained this to my clients that seem like they want to go to court. If your husband or your wife doesn't like you now, they will for sure not like you once I've finished dealing with them. My job is not to put them on a witness stand and to make them look good. It's to make you look good and make them look terrible. That's my job. And that might be fine in a litigation context, but when these people have children and they need to parent the day after they get out of court, that's a problem. The other issue that sometimes people don't realizes you lose a lot of control because inherent in that process is that a judge is going to impose on both people a decision. So you do your best to influence that judge with your lawyer, but at the end of the day, the lawyers and the parties really don't control outcome. It's up to a judge. Um, 
It also discourages communication. Um, for one thing, lawyers can't talk to the other party at all. We're bound ethically not to communicate with the other party. But even the parties in the process, when you're in this adversarial kind of system, it, it doesn't encourage free and open discussion about problems that people have. Uh, and that's not necessarily a positive thing. And the final issue that I think is kind of significant, particularly where we have kids, is it discourages trust. So when people come to me in the first place and their relationship is broke down, inherent in that is that they've lost trust. That's just the reality of that. They made an oath, till death do us part, and that oath has been broken. And that's very fundamental to most people. So you start with that, and then you get people like me involved in, when I'm wearing my litigation hat, and that's intimidating, and it's threatening, and, and the trust erodes even more. So before we had collaborative process, all we were left with, really to a great extent, was the litigation process, which has a tendency to be very negative in terms of creating future relationships between the parties. So as I've kind of touched on, this is what the traditional model looks like, and the size of the participants represents the degree of uh, efficacy or influence you have on process. And so you'll note, the biggest party is the judge. And the judge could be a man or a woman. Uh, they may be awesome, but they may not be awesome. They're human beings, and some are great, and some are not so great. But you're going to put your welfare and the welfare of your children in the hands of that person at the end of the day. The lawyers also have influence, because they're, they live in that process, so they know how to push things in a way that the parties don't by themselves. And then you have the parties, and they're even more diminished, because whatever they have to say is influenced through the lawyer than to the judge. And lastly, we have children. And children have almost no voice in the litigation process. They speak through their parents. They speak through, occasionally, counselors. But that person is going to make a decision, and in most cases will never have seen those children himself or herself. He's going to make a decision that will influence the rest of their lives, never see those kids. That causes me some concern, and I think for parents, that should be a concern. So some of the downside of what I call traditional divorce or traditional litigation costs a lot of money. Uh, people ask me sometimes, how much is this going to cost? And without being too flippant, I'll say, how high is up? Because it depends on how long you want to fight and what we have to fight about. But it's not unusual to see litigation costs, $75,000, $85,000 for one side by the time you get to trial. It's time consuming from start to finish, easily two years, sometimes four or five years to get to a trial. It's unpredictable. Uh, the law, in my opinion, over the last 32 years has become much more subject to the whims of the individual judge and less directed by the law or precedent so that whenever I go to court, as much as I have experience, I never feel completely confident as to what's going to happen. And that's unpredictability is a concern, especially if you're going to spend $85,000. Uh, you don't have a lot of control in that outcome. We've talked about that. The most important issue, though, I think, is it really breeds future animosity. It's hard enough to break a relationship up, but when people have spent a significant amount of money, they've been in trauma and combat with each other for three or four or five years, um, it's very difficult for them to the day after that trial 
reorganize themselves in a cooperative way with their spouse. And if you have young children, that's really potentially damaging to the children. So inherent in the idea of traditional litigation is threat and coercion. Do what I do or, I'll, or what I say or else. My lawyer's going to beat you up and bad things are going to happen to you. Uh, what comes with that uh, is it enhances what's called a fight or flight response. And if some of you are familiar with that, you know, the analogy we often talk about is when you have a cat in a corner. They have fight or flight. They're either going to jump at you or they're going to try and escape. This is a very normal response to fear. And actually, the back of our brain, there's a thing called the amygdala uh, that is kind of an impulse response to threat. So um, when you're highly stressed and highly threatened, you become less rational because you just want to escape that. That can be very difficult in a divorce situation. Uh, the other interesting thing is uh, and I highlighted this, divorce makes us crazy. It literally diminishes our ability to be rational. Um, there's a study from people called Holmes and Ra that uh, basically said, we want to see what are the most stressful events people encounter because that has a direct impact on recovery in a hospital setting. And they went through and they examined all the different life stressors. And interestingly enough, they found the five most significant life stressors are death of a spouse, divorce, separation from a mate, detention in jail, or uh, death of a close family member. It's extremely common that we're dealing with three of those in the context of a family breakdown. People react dif difficult in a divorce, they get into criminal behaviors, domestic violence is unfortunately reasonably common. These people are afraid of the outcomes. Uh, we've got these other life stressors. And what happens when they get in those high stress situations, um, they actually become less rational. What's called the cerebral cortex, which is the front of their brain, it starts shutting down as that fear process kicks in and that high stress process kicks in. And they've done studies that show your IQ in high stress actually drops. You literally become stupider when you get divorced. <laughs> and I'm not saying that in a disparaging way, because I've been divorced and going through that, you get very stupid. You have a difficult time organizing what's the best course of action. Uh, and, and a great part of that, it's literally a biological difficulty. What makes that even more difficult is we've now uh, done some studies. There's a foundation in Alberta called the Palix Foundation that's done some incredibly good work in uh, examining uh, what are called adverse childhood experiences. And, and one of the principal, or two, some, two of the most principal adverse childhood experiences that kids are exposed to are high conflict between their parents and addictive behaviors, alcoholism, drug addiction. And these often accompany divorce at the same time. And so what we've discovered, unfortunately, is when children get prolonged exposure to these high conflict or adverse experiences, um, they have a much higher prospect of addiction issues, alcohol and drugs. They're more likely to become involved in criminal conduct. They're more likely to consider suicide. Uh, they've actually shown that children can be damaged neurologically by these high conflict exposures. And so what, to some extent, uh, I don't want to say it's a game, but the litigation process uh, depersonalizes the participants, but it has very real impact because it, it makes them less functional. 
It makes them more likely to be in combat. And as we increase that combat, what can happen is you can end up with damaged children. And not just damaged in a way that they're sad and they've been you know, subject to unfortunate circumstance, but they could literally have lifelong problems directly related to the divorce. And so that's why, even though this is what I do, and I continue to do litigation, I really have a focus in my practice on trying to encourage clients to understand that reality, to understand that that future place is more important than thinking too long about that place you were last year with your spouse that you're not happy with. Uh, I won't spend too much time on this. I think we've already touched on it. But that litigation model just accentuates all those problems. And so what we've done is we've said, is there a different way to do this? Is there a way that we can help people get from a broken marriage to a more hopeful future that's better than the litigation model? So in 1991 or 92, there was a gentleman named Stu Webb in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. And he was a divorce lawyer, and like me, he was seeing inherently that these things weren't working well for his clients in the litigation context. And he got to a point where he almost thought about quitting. Um, and then he had this idea, and he said, well, what if I could do this differently? What if I could find a way to help my clients that removes this experience? And so he started this collaborative process. And since 1992, the process, which unfortunately is not as well known in, in, in public uh, as it should be, it's part of the reason I'm here, it has grown from a little law firm in Minneapolis, Minnesota, to a situation now where every single state in the United States does collaborative process. Several states have statutes that mandate it. Um, we have collaborative process in every province of Canada now. There are collaborative lawyers now in Hong Kong and Brazil, all over the world all from what Stu Webb was doing, because it struck a chord in people like me and others that said, can we do this better? Can we, can we help reduce the, the pain? So in 2000, we had a guy come up from California who had been trained in training people, and a bunch of lawyers from Lethbridge, Calgary, and Medicine Hat got together, and we got our first training in this collaborative process. And by the fall of 2000, uh, the Alberta group started a provincial group known as the Collaborative Divorce Alberta Association that I was involved with then, uh, as at one point I was the president. Um, and we also opened our Lethbridge and Medicine Hat chapters. Um, so since 2000, we've been doing this. But what we've noticed is, while we're trying to promote it, it still hasn't gained a lot of public understanding, which is really why I'm here today. So in Lethbridge, we have 19 lawyers. We have four financial professionals and four mental health professionals. What started out as a lawyer-only process has now become more of a team process where we take what we do best and we bring it to the process to help people fashion resolution in a way that's less damaging and more effective. So we have to get training to do this. We don't just call ourselves collaborative lawyers. We get mediation training and we get uh, collaborative training. So what is collaborative divorce beyond being nicer? Um, the core of collaborative divorce is training us to negotiate effectively and respectfully with each other, to identify the problem as the problem, not the party. So my wife isn't the problem, it's her concern about this issue. And, it, and we literally write things on a board when we do this process so we can point at it and say, 
What are we going to do? We're a little team here, husband and wife. How are we going to figure this issue out? And then rather than take what uh, is called positional negotiation, uh, we try to do what's interest-based. And the best way to explain the difference is positional negotiation is how you buy and sell cars, typically. Uh, I'd like to sell my car for $10,000, so I'm going to say I want fifteen. dollars And a buyer comes along and says, you know what, I'd be willing to pay $10,000, but I'm going to offer this guy five. And then you push each other back and forth, and you nudge and nudge, and see who wants it more, and then you hopefully end up with a price. And maybe that's okay when you're buying and selling a car. But we have two people that come into a law office, and they were like this, and now they're like this. And supposing you're dealing with an issue like support, and you're both afraid of your future based on how much you pay or how much you get. And the husband says, usually the husband, well, I'm willing to pay her $2,000 a month, but I'm going to offer her $500. And the wife says, you know what, I'd probably take $2,000 a month, but I'm going to tell him I want $4,000. Push people out like this. And when they're highly stressed, and we talked about the stress, and they're highly keyed, um, that just contributes to this problem. Interest-based negotiation is saying, well, what do we need to find a solution to? Well, how are we going to maintain our finances? And we want to do this in a fair way. Yes, we do. What are the ways we can address that? So we don't start with what we want. We start with talking about the things we think we need. So inherent in the collaborative process is a commitment to reasonable and principled negotiation. And fundamentally, the core of the collaborative process uh, relates to negotiated resolution with established protocols about how we communicate with each other without threat or use of power. And what's really key to that, and what Chip Rose discovered is, you make the lawyers sign a contract with their clients where the lawyers say, we can never go to court. I can't go to court once I've signed that contract, ever. Neither can my firm. So the lawyers are now focused on finding solutions. They're trained on finding solutions. And they don't get to play that game of, we'll do this or I'm going to go see a judge. That's not part of the, con the conversation. And the parties are bound in that, in that format as well. So what happens is we're all committed to negotiation in a respectful way. And if they want out of that, because they want to go to court and beat on their spouse, they got to get out. they got to fire their lawyers and start with somebody new. For some people, that's an intimidating kind of a thought, that I might need to get a new lawyer. Our thought is everything, 93% of everything settles anyway. Why don't we start with the assumption that we're going to settle rather than start with the assumption we're going to litigate? Um, the other thing that I like about Colab is it empowers people. It doesn't disempower them. So it helps people have a voice. It helps people understand how to articulate to their spouse the things they're concerned about in a way that's respectful. And that modeled behavior lends itself very well to uh, future positive conduct. So I'm, I'm talking too long, which is typical for a lawyer. Um, uh, I'm going to move very quickly to uh, the idea of a team. What we've done is we've taken it, so lawyers do what lawyers do in negotiation, but we're bringing other people in, including people like Harvey Laboon and people like Cindy, to add to the process the things that are very valuable that the lawyers don't do as well and may be more expensive at doing badly. Um, so we have several people involved. We have a coach that helps people communicate with each other outside the process, usually a psychologist. We have a child expert that focuses on the kids and how they're doing and what they need and help communicate that to the parents. 
And then we have a financial professional. So what I'm going to do now is uh, I'm going to back out for a moment, and I'm going to invite Harvey up here to let you know what he's adding to the process now that I've taken up all his time <laughs> by talking too long. Thanks, Rob. Um, you know, before I got involved with the collaborative process, uh, being a charter business evaluator, I was asked to go to court a number of times and, uh, you know, be an expert witness, usually on the value of a business. And let me tell you, that's an intimidating process. Uh, the judges, you know, they only have limited information. You know, they got to make decisions really rel relatively quickly. And the lawyers, they're tough. I mean, uh, you know, they can beat up on you pretty good and they know what they're doing. And the whole process is just really not great. So when the whole collaborative association came along, uh, I was very interested in finding out more by, about it. And really where I spend most of my time is that I find that usually one of the spouses is the one that has the finance, most uh, understanding of their finances. So that's very intimidating for the other person. And that doesn't help matters. So under a litigation process, you each go get your own accountant. And guess what? Uh, you know, I think most of you realize is that the numbers are not always an exact total, right? You know, we can be very creative sometimes. And so you can end up with a really wide range of numbers. When I get to sit down with, uh, you know, people going through divorce, sometimes individually, sometimes together, uh, you know, it gives them the opportunity to ask me questions about, you know, their finances. Uh, and a lot of times people feel dumb. They say, well, I, I feel dumb. I don't know this. And that's just, it's unfortunate it is that way, but that happens an awful lot. So uh, being able to sit down with them and, uh, you know, be able to explain to them and, and answer their questions individually and sometimes as a group is really, really powerful. And I find it really does come to a great solution. Um, the other part of it, is too, is that, you know, when you get divorced, you're taking uh, a certain amount of cash flow and splitting it between two people. So now you're dealing with two houses, two homes, whatever it is, and cash flow, sub, you know, following a divorce is a real problem. And so if you're not paying attention to the tax rules and, uh, you know, some of the rollover provisions that are allowed, you can actually end up giving Revenue Canada a whole bunch of money that they don't even want. And why does that happen? Because you want to get it over and done with, and you sometimes make some really poor decisions. So I do spend an awful lot of time uh, going through that aspect of things and making sure that they understand the rules. Uh, when it comes to support, child support, spousal support, there are certain guidelines that are provided, uh, uh, legal guidelines on how to calculate the income. Uh, in a litigation process, those numbers are, are, are set and you cannot divert from them. In a collaborative approach, you can talk because there is some variability there, and I find that sometimes we can come up with a creative solution that helps both sides. So it's a really important part of what's going on. Probably the most important thing, though, with all this collaborative stuff is that when we sit down as a group, it's amazing how powerful that group can be. Um, mentioned before that the lawyers are very good at their jobs, and when they're, you know, when they're fighting and, and they're you know, they're, they're beaten up on the other side. They're very, very good at it. Well, if you can just imagine the power when they start working together and, you know, you start getting a healthcare professional in there that understands when spouses are going through, you know, a high-stress situation, 
It's amazing what they can do to bring things down to a level where everybody can move forward. So from my standpoint, I would much rather be involved in this kind of a process. I've found over the years that it really is a, is a, it's a much easier way to deal with people. The solutions, I feel, that are, are usually a lot better. Uh, there's flexibility built into them, and it really does avoid the litigation process, which, you know, as I've indicated before, in my experience, is, is a very, very difficult process to go through. And quite often, it, the result is, is, you know, very strange. I mean, usually one side or the other feels that they really didn't get a good deal. So, anyway, that's my thoughts. Rob? All right, thank you, Harvey. I'll, I'll just kind of wind up. Um, the diagram just shows that the, the goal is using all of our resources and to focus the parties on finding solution to help people get from here to there in a way that's most likely to be positive as opposed to negative. Uh, so we're here today and we really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you to hopefully have you think about it to talk to people that may be going through family problems and to consider at least this as an option. And, and the last thing I'll say, and I'll use my own life as an example. Still difficult for me. My, my son, he's 27 years old. He left today for Taiwan. He's living in Taiwan for a year. He was one year old when I got divorced, when I separated. And when he graduated university, the University of Alberta, um, we had dinner and I was there with my wife, my now wife, and my ex-wife and her husband and her parents, and my parents, all at the same dinner table. And after dinner, my son pulled me aside. And he told me how much he appreciated that he could experience that with both of his parents. And then he didn't have to feel torn at this incredibly important part of his life. And I tell my clients that, and I say, focus on tomorrow. Don't focus on yesterday. Because if you can have that with your kids, and it's not easy. I didn't always get along with my ex, trust me. And it wasn't all her fault either. Um, if you can do that, that's incredibly valuable. And collaborative gives you, in my opinion, the best opportunity for that to be a reality if you're going through that. So thank you again so much for this opportunity. And I'd happy, and Harvey, I'm sure, would be happy to answer any questions that you might have. Uh, thank you, Rob and Harvey. Uh, great information, and I'm sure it got you're thinking about different questions that you're going to ask at the Q&A time, and so that'll be after our lunch. 